if you met a cypherpunk in a dark alley, what would you say to him? Well, if that cypherpunk was Jameson Lop, you'd probably invite him in to have a beer and discuss cryptocurrency. As luck would have it, we didn't meet Jameson in a dark alley. Instead, we invited him to join us on the show to glean from his knowledge of the blockchain world. You see, Jameson's a software engineer that speaks regular people language, and that's good because we're bad. Stick around long enough and you'll be bad too. It's episode number 72 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. from Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to the Bad Crypto Podcast. Stay bad. It's a good day to be bad, Mr. Travis Wright, and I'm so glad that we get to be bad for the whole world. You know, when you say the whole world, you are not wrong because we are listened to in 190 territories. Not necessarily the countries. Well, one of them is VPN. And so <laughs> another one is other regions. And then other regions is right. And we've said this joke before, but it always makes me laugh is because other regions is right below Netherlands. And so it always looks like nether regions. Right. But here's my question. Are any of the countries were heard in (laughs) shitholes? Seven of which were shitholes. 183 countries, seven other (laughs) shitholes. You have to decide which ones they are. We're not commenting on that. Uh, but wherever you're from, whether uh, you are one of those or one of not those, we're glad you're here. And welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast. I'm Joel Com. That's Travis Wright. And man, I just stepped in it. That was great. Uh, you realize we've had over 1.5 million downloads, Mr. Joel Com. We're racing towards two million. Does that mean we have to have another song at two I, million? I think we got. You know, if we if it gets ridiculous, we got to start making a new song like every month or every uh, twice a month or something. Then maybe we'll stop. But we might as well. Is the next highlight? Is it then? Is it uh, two million or two point five million? Like two point five million kind of sounds maybe, more maybe milestone-y. instead we should set like a crypto goal when Bitcoin hits twenty five thousand, right? Mm then that could be the next goal for us to come out with a song that nobody wants to hear. You know what? If you guys want to send us like your own parodies, like we'd appreciate that. That'd be funny. Like, should we have a, a, a Facebook mastermind post that you can Google? I guess you can search it over on the side. You can say parodies, you know, bad crypto parodies. And maybe you have one. You can leave it on a comment there. That'd be good. You know, we, we've had some sent in. Mm-hmm. We Some people have sent them. In fact, people are sending us stuff. We got in the mail from uh, um, a woman named Erica Jones. She made these th- this art with these, like, fused beads. What do you call these? Uh uh, fused beads yeah they're they're beads and she made take a picture something. of it and put it on here hold on hold it up again i'll take a picture with my here i'll, I'll do it right here screenshot. one of them is the bad crypto podcast and there are these beady beady things and she sent a couple others and she also sent me a bitcoin t-shirt and then that was really um, nice of her it's, i shouldn't send me anything did you get your Bitcoin wallet? Are you the cool one? You're the cool guy who gets the cool gifts. I'm I don't cool give anybody one. my address. There's some creepy people out there from shitholes. Did you get your Bitcoin wallet? Dude, that is awesome. No, I did not. Well, you will be getting one. Oh, Pier- that's beautiful. Thank you. 
Uh, peer-to-peer gear. Peer-to-peer is, gear? Uh, yeah, peer-to-peer gear. And this is actually a physical wow. black leather wallet with a that Bitcoin. That is really nice. Look at that. Embossed in it. And smells like cow. Smells like so, leather, huh? Very nice. Um, thanks for that gift. And, and, of course, you guys are welcome to send us anything that you like. You just have to figure out what the address is. And I'm not giving that away publicly. So, so there's that. And I also want to give shout-out to our sponsor for the month, the Zilla app. I actually got an email from Abasa Phillips of Zilla. And he says, Apple is just being super slow to approve their app, their first version of the Zilla app into the app store. But uh, it could be there by now, maybe not. But when it's there, this is the ICO marketplace. You'll be able to check out the latest ICOs and vote them up or down. And we're allowed by law. You'll be able to participate in them. You know, of course, do your due diligence on them. But uh, watch for the Zilla app in the iOS app store. The URL, if you want to learn more, is zla.io forward slash bad and check it out and tell Abasa that we sent you. Bad voicemail. You have one new message. Hey, Travis and Joel. This is Daniel from London, but now lives in Los Angeles. Guys, I want to say thank you so much for all the hard work that you put into creating this amazing show. Uh, a friend of mine that I had not connected with for about almost 10, 15 years had mentioned me about this show. I downloaded like 30 of your episodes and religiously listened to it and as a result of that got very interested in the crypto space so I just wanted to say thank you so much for the education and the tools that you give me but also thank you very much for giving us a platform to connect with old friends and now we have this group where a bunch of my old friends from school who I haven't seen for years and years we meet every week we talk about crypto crypto related items and just connect with one another so it's more than just more than just crypto, it's also about friendship too. So, thanks guys, keep up the great work, all the best. Bad Crypto Inbox, you got mail. All right, we also had a, an email come in from the contact form, uh, which is on our website. It is the um, the contact form on the site. Let's go ahead and type in that, and then you can contact us because it's a form. Well, and it's, there's uh, a link. There's a link it says, for it. It says contact Joel and Travis. Yeah, yeah, and you can click that, and that's a form. So it's pretty good. It's magical. It is. It's it's uh it's a contact way. So hey, Travis and Joel, we're two crypto crazy Brits on a road trip mission from Barcelona to Slovenia, both of which countries. Uh, uh, Barcelona is not a country, but they listen to us there. You guys, uh, we had a disastrous journey from a run in with the police, broken snow chains, and getting stranded for two days on a Slovenian mountain, plus a twenty year storm destroying the power and ha- and water to the house they were staying in. Oh my gosh, this is like an adventure. Uh, then we discovered your podcast and entered the amazing Republic of Bad Cryptopia and its magical internet money. Yeah. Uh, we tried listening to three other cryptocurrency podcasts. Then we found yours, which was by far the best. So we downloaded a whole load and listened to them while driving through Slovenia, Austria, Italy, Monaco, France, and Spain in our van. We love your mix of info, entertainment, and brilliant banter. Keep keep on cryptoing in the free world. From Sam and Andy from the UK. That's awesome. So they account for six of the countries we were heard in right there. That's true, because all you have to do is have one person in that country to listen to it. 
We think we might, what we might want to do, you guys, somebody needs to smuggle in a USB into North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, you know, maybe we can have, you know, one of the people that are escaping from North Korea, you know, as they're crossing the DMV, they're yelling, stay bad. <laughs> I'm sorry for being so bad, but I must go to the Republic of Bankruptopia. <laughs> nice. Sam and Andy. That's actually yep. two people. It's not one person named Sam and Andy who's pink and swims. <laughs> it is Sam and Andy. <laughs> two people. Now you're just making a bass of yourself. <laughs> oh. You're just fishing for compliments. Well, if you guys want to reach out to us, and I can't imagine why you would, there's multiple ways to do it. There's the contact form, and then there's the bad crypto hotline, 708 885 Ninety thirty. I find it funny how often somebody in Telegram or on our Facebook page will say, "What's the phone number?" I mean, we only say it in every episode, mm -hmm. uh, but once again, seven zero eight 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 five nine zero three zero. That goes is, right straight to my pager. Yeah, <laughs> it beeps him. Yeah, and I look at it and I go, "Oh, somebody called us." I have to. I have to go do surgery at the hospital. <laughs> I love when a guest comes on the show and I say, are you ready? He's like, I'm born ready. I'm going to take on the crypto <laughs> world and I'm going to make it my biatch. That's yeah. what we got here, Travis. And then a Randy Macho Man Savage. Yeah, let me tell you something, Bitcoin. Yeah. No? Because that's who Jameson <laughs> Lop is, folks. Jameson Lop is a name that you should have heard of by now because he's made a name for himself. And uh, in the crypto space, he is a professional cypherpunk. He's the creator of the Stutoshi. I don't know what that is, but I'm going to find out. And he's a software engineer at BitGo. He's super passionate about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, has a lot to say. And because of that, there's a lot that you need to listen to. We're all going to learn here. Welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast, Mr. Jameson Lop and his epic beard. <laughs> Great to be here. Yeah, I mean, that's the first thing I want to talk about there is how many Bitcoin is that beard worth? Because that's that's pretty solid. Is that beard, is that beard on the blockchain? <laughs> beard chain. <laughs> it's great to be here. Uh, we're we're glad you're here. What's a, give people a little bit about your background because you've ended up going down this crypto rabbit hole, but you existed before crypto existed. So what were you doing? Yeah, so I was a computer science major, and uh, for the first 10 years or so of my career, I was working for a online marketing startup called Bronto Software, and basically doing email marketing, though I was on the real back end there, really working with the analytics of all of the data that we had to ingest as a result of all of the emails that were going out. So over the years, I started off doing more front-end web, web development and then working my way to the very back-end doing what came to be known as the you know cloud computing, large-scale uh, data processing. And while I was doing that uh, in 2012, I somehow heard about Bitcoin, probably on Slashdot or something, and started looking into it. Thankfully, I had a coworker sitting next to me who had already been into it for a while and was able to answer a lot of my questions. And I just fell down the rabbit hole and started creating my own projects, trying to better understand the space and, you know, started talking about it to everybody that would listen to me and a lot of people who wouldn't. 
And from my perspective, I've kind of been doing the same thing for a number of years now. The only thing that's really changed is that more people are listening to me. (laughs) Everybody needs a crypto buddy, right? That's there to say, oh, I will take you by the hand and explain this to you. (laughs) Yeah, Joel Joel and I kind of did that together. We were like, we were just going back and forth because we were were bantering back and forth about politics, right? And then we were just sort of sharing more and more about crypto. And then we made, I made an offhanded comment, like how long until we do the Joel and Travis crypto show? And then two days later, it was launched and live. And here we are six months later, right? So everyone needs a crypto buddy. That's, that's, that's a good, that's a good thing. Actually, cryptobuddy.com. There's, let's tokenize that, right? It'll mat, match you up with somebody um, that, you know, has the competency that you require. And then you can mentor people in the crypto space and you get, you know, paid in crypto buddy coins. <laughs> yeah. For helping out mentoring Bitcoin mentors. Very nice. I have a question for you right off the bat. So you just tweeted this today. You were talking about the Lightning Network and how cross-chain atomic swaps are going to be immediate and that it may be, you know, happening sooner than we think. Is there some insights that you could That's the number one thing that our fans want to know about is when will the Lightning Network be implemented? How is that going to work? Yeah, it's actually kind of a tricky question. And I think This is one of the reasons for a lot of the frustration in the space and especially around the scaling debates and all of that is that, you know, these things are not uh, software that's being developed by a single company that is, you know, putting out uh, a timeline and, and has to meet its own metrics and, you know, has investors breathing down their necks and all this stuff. It's really a much more amorphous, uh, organic evolution. So, you know, even though we can say things like, oh, from a general standpoint, it seems like the development of this technology is progressing faster than we had hoped. It doesn't mean that we're able to say, okay, on, you know, June 2nd, we will deploy the Lightning Network and everybody will be able to use it. It's it's actually going to be a much uh, less obvious process. And I think I had a tweet a few days ago where I was basically saying Lightning Network technically is already underway being deployed. Like there are people doing transactions on the main Bitcoin network uh, using the Lightning Protocol. But this is the very, very beginning of it. And it's very hard to do that unless you're a developer and you still don't want to actually risk a lot of money to it because it is so early. So... It's really more that, you know, I've been seeing uh, more and more groups of developers and teams uh, coming into the space, and they're really excited about developing the lightning and second layer solutions and, and then, you know, building applications on top of that. So I think that we're seeing a momentum, you know, push from a number of different perspectives of, of how we're eventually going to get there. Now, on the opposite hand, there have been some things that have been a lot slower than we've wanted for example, the segregated witness adoption has been pretty slow. I'm kind of biased there because working at BitGo, we were one of the first enterprises that actually added support for it. I think we had it ready about two weeks after it activated, whereas a lot of these other companies still haven't even announced uh, timeframes for it. So it's uh, it's an important first step you know, to get to this second layer uh, type of world that we're trying to build. So I'm hoping that, you know, the coin bases and 
uh, Krakens and all of the exchanges and, and large transaction volume folks uh, will be adding SegWit so that they will be ready to then do the work to, to add Lightning support. But I think that we are going to see you know regular people be able to use it this year. So many words that you dropped there that just have all kinds of controversy, you know, great (laughs) topics we can discuss there. And I want to get into those. But first of all, this is the first time we've really heard about BitGo on the show. So why don't you tell us what BitGo does, BitGo.com? Yeah. So the reason that not many people hear about BitGo is because we're not a consumer facing company. Uh, We are an enterprise security service. Uh, So really what we are doing is we're providing as high a security hot wallet as you can get. You know, uh, it's hard to to make a perfectly secure hot wallet where you have private keys that are online, but we make it more secure than your average wallet by using multi-signature aspects of the protocol so that you never have enough private key data on a single machine that could then get hacked and have all your money taken. We instead split those keys up across uh, multiple machines uh, using a two out of three multi-sig solution for every blockchain that we support. So as a result, you get some interesting properties where, you know, if the the user's machine gets hacked, the hacker doesn't have enough uh, private key material to steal the money. If BitGo's machines get hacked, same thing. You would have to you know, simultaneously hack both all of our users and our servers in order to actually be able to reconstitute this data and, and make uh, you know, fraudulent transactions to steal the, the crypto assets. It's been interesting being in the security side of things, really behind the scenes, you know, seeing uh, a lot of the more nefarious activities that do go on. You know, it's it's. The, the honey badger, you know, adversarial environment really to the extreme. Everyone who is in this space, uh, who is, you know, well known or is, you know, on the internet with with their uh, services is constantly being poked and prodded and attacked. And uh, there's real money on the line. And so you, you have to be completely vigilant 24-7 and be as proactive as possible with security in this space because... Once you screw up, there's uh, no going back. Oh, absolutely. That is one thing that we have learned multiple times in our own crypto journey. Um, I actually had somebody. Especially you, Travis. Especially me, yeah. So somebody actually called T-Mobile and did a SIM card swap. Uh, yep. You know, that stuff is running rampant. And, uh, you know, so security is is really important now. So is BitGo, is this the web wallet for the exchanges? Or this is a, you said it's not a consumer product. Is it uh, businesses and enterprises who are using this for their own private blockchains or is BitGo primarily being you who are the who are the customers right so uh, we started out as a Bitcoin only service and some of our larger customers there are, are folks like uh, Bitstamp and OKCoin you know a number of the medium to larger size exchanges mm-hmm. and then a very long long tail of smaller exchanges that you know you and, and even I have not heard of all of them it's actually a lot of small exchanges in the, the in Asia that are popping up we do have a web wallet but our primary usage is through our API and we have SDKs that we provide so basically you know a uh, a Bitcoin or crypto asset service provider that needs to accept and send crypto assets will grab our SDK and integrate our logic to basically use us as their wallet. And when they're using us as a wallet, they're they're just making API calls to us 
where they are half signing transactions locally on their machines, sending those half signed transactions over to us. And then BitGo essentially acts as like a an oracle or a co-signer. Mm-hmm. And we are looking at these half-signed transactions, and then we're looking at any number of arbitrary security policies that the user and that we have set up. And we say, okay, do all of the security policies get passed, or is this breaking one of the security policies? And if, if any of those flags get tripped, then all we have to do is not co-sign the transaction, and it is never valid. So unless it the, you know, the, the API calls and transactions can get through all of our security policies. It never becomes valid from the network standpoint. That kind of allows us to be a gatekeeper, you know, a security service. And it also, because it's a two out of three multi-sig solution and BitGo only ever has one out of the three keys, it means that we are non-custodial. So mm-hmm. we never have the ability to unilaterally take someone's money or unilaterally block somebody from using their money. If for some reason BitGo got hacked or, you know, government came in and stole all of our servers and shut us down or, you know, there was some sort of catastrophe, then the customer can go get their backup recovery keys and uh, use software that they run locally to create transactions and completely route around BitGo, send their money to a new wallet and continue operating. Mm. Jameson, you are kind of like the honey badger yourself, only you do care. But at the same time, you're a man of many opinions and you just call <laughs> them like you seize them. Uh, Travis yeah. and I were discussing the, uh, an interview you did with uh, or a debate you had with uh, Roger, uh, previously known as Bitcoin Jesus Ver. Um, mm-hmm. Not sure that people refer to him as that anymore. They have lots of names for him. Um, we've interviewed him. We found him to be uh, very amiable and have no personal issues. But don't call it Bcash. It's not Bcash. Uh, so let's talk about the whole Bitcoin Bcash thing. You know, what what's your perspective on this war that has been waged? Yeah, uh, this was the culmination of several years of arguing, and eventually, uh, you know, one segment of the Bitcoin uh, user group decided, you know what, uh, we're just talking in circles and we're, we're never going to get to compromise with you know the rest of you. So we're going to do what the protocol allows us to do. And we're going to fork off and, you know, create our own network with our own slightly modified protocol that is more in line with what we believe Bitcoin is supposed to be. And this is great. You know, this is the free market in action. Now, the sort of con to all of that is that because there's no one controlling these networks, there's there's no you know official like marketing agency or whatever uh, for for any given network. It's all organic, and so you have people out there that are trying to argue and explain their own perspective and get more people to adopt their network and you know trash the other network, tell people why it's terrible. And as a result, you end up with this very interesting nonviolent war, generally nonviolent war, uh, war of words and war of uh, opinions and perspectives and uh, a, a lot of rhetoric. And so it's it's tricky because I have am very biased against, I guess, like religious fundamentalism type of stuff. 
and I realize that at the root of all of this, of like what is Bitcoin, it is fundamentally a personal ideology. It, it is you. No one can tell you what Bitcoin is. Like I cannot tell you this is Bitcoin. These are the specific things that make Bitcoin Bitcoin. You you really have to decide that for yourself. And then the, uh, uh, wait, the, let me let me interrupt you there because are you saying Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper vision wasn't clear enough that um, just like scripture, there's ambiguity or room for interpretation? Definitely, yes. It was not a like founding document that that has to be interpreted in a specific way and and you know then set some sort of requirements that will affect you know the future evolution of bitcoin one of the ways that i've described this is that we throw around a lot of fancy words like permissionlessness and trustlessness and decentralization and stuff and bitcoin does have some very interesting properties that make it you know unique in compared to other stores of value and payment systems and so if you are operating what i would say is like the strongest security model that Bitcoin can provide, which is what you get from running a fully validating node and basically checking everybody else's transactions to make sure that nobody is breaking any of the rules, then you're in a trustless state where you, you don't have to trust any single other person on the network uh, to be honest to you. However, from a completely different perspective, you are trusting everyone in aggregate with regard to what the rules actually are. Because if the network you know, organically decides to change any rule of Bitcoin, even something as extreme as like the 21 million coin limit or something as simple as the uh, block size limit, anything can be changed if the, the network in general agrees that it should be changed. It could even be something as nefarious as, oh, we're going to steal all of your coins and redistribute it you know, to everybody else in a specific way. So there, there is this interesting uh, kind of like faith and trust in the idea that everybody else on the network is generally going to agree and not collude against you specifically. But well, we can keep, you know, making as many um, there's as many iterations as there are uh, elements, right? Because you know, Bitcoin tin, Bitcoin aluminum, Bitcoin, <laughs> you know, uh, salt, right? There's all all the anyway. Never mind. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want to ask you, but maybe even a tough question here because, uh, you know, with, with the transaction speeds and the high fees, and I mean, I, I listened to that whole interview with Roger Ver, and I said, you know what, he had some, he had some good points. I wasn't busting his balls the whole time. I was like, you know what, he does have good points. It, it, the one that that he always says and he iterates over and over was about how Bitcoin has become slow, expensive, and unreliable. And mm -hmm. and that's true, because, I mean, if you look at Blocktivity dot info and you see how many transactions are pulling through the Bitcoin, you know, the Bitcoin blockchain right now, it's high. A lot of times it's like over 200,000 in the queue. Ethereum is experiencing that same sort of bottleneck with its growth. A lot of times having 50 to 100,000, you know, in the queue. So how is that? Is that solved? Is that because I mean, it sounds to me like for, in, in listening to that interview, and I think everyone in bad crypto should listen to this. It's uh, it's the time. Tom Woods show that came out, I think, uh, I don't know what, in the 
20th or something like that around December. You guys want to listen to that. So how is how does that get solved? Because you mentioned in that interview that the Bitcoin Core roadmap is different because there's Bitcoin Core, but then there's other people who are working on the protocol as well. And you mentioned just a minute ago, there's, there is no centralized sort of pe- person or, or team that says, here's what we're going to do. So how, do, how does Bitcoin get to the point where they can solve those problems? The interesting thing about the the on-chain scaling uh, perspective of we'll just you know make the block size bigger is that it does work. There may be some people out there who who just straight up say, "Oh, it doesn't work." But I would say it it does work. We're just not willing to you know make the trade-offs required for it to work. And and when I say trade-offs, I generally mean you know making it more expensive to run fully validating nodes and having that ultimate security model. As we want uh, for as many people as possible to be able to afford to get the maximum security model out of Bitcoin. So it's you know it's very frustrating because demand for this particular asset is already far exceeding what it is allowing the network to basically process like if you know speaking of bitcoin as this like organic thing like if bitcoin wanted to make its blocks bigger and it wanted to process more transactions on the chain then it would but for whatever reason or many reasons uh, the this thing that is bitcoin has decided that it does not want to do that at this point in time and you know that's probably because a lot of the folks who are making the technical arguments that we should try to be as efficient in our use of block space as possible and and try to do these more complex you know second layer solutions that at least for now the patience of the bitcoin holders and and the node operators on the network is outweighing the frustration of the transactors who are having to wait for hours or days for their transactions to get confirmed. That's kind of the main uh, contention that I see going on is the folks who are willing to make the trade-offs, some of whom are prioritizing fast transactions with low fees, other folks who are prioritizing slower transactions, higher fees, but lower cost of doing a full node that validates all of the rules well let's uh let's bounce over to uh crypto at large all right Uh, a little away from the tech perhaps and more into uh the future what in the world is going on i mean over the past year we saw the market cap we saw bitcoin go from a thousand to five figures and we've seen the crypto market cap go from 50 billion to over 700 billion What's your evaluation? What do you think is going on out there? It's uh, just another cycle, you know, another like S-curve adoption cycle. And uh, really, you know, the mainstream media picking up on this, I think, is what has taken it to the next level. Um, You know, from like personal anecdotes, I've been having and many other people I know uh, who have been in the space for a while have been having a lot of their old you know friends and colleagues that they told about crypto years ago and were ignored those folks are coming back around now because they're hearing about it you know mainstream news and now they're saying oh well if you know 
if the world in general is starting to talk about this, then maybe it's a real thing and it's not a scam. And so it's it's just, you know, the sort of viral network effect uh, starting to catch on. Well, I guess the second part of that is, is there anything that can stop this train or is this a locomotive that is just going to keep barreling down the tracks? I don't think it's going to stop. I think that, you know, things are going to keep changing uh, probably in many ways that none of us expect. It'll be very interesting to see, you know, what the the central banks and the governments of the world do in response. And if you want to be more conspiracy minded and, and we believe that the central banks and the governments are not actually stupid and ignorant, they know what's happening, you know, then there's a high likelihood that they already are doing things behind the scenes. Uh, and, you know, you can read all about the, you know, potential, uh, you know, divide and conquer conspiracy tactics that may be going on and may in fact be, you know, contributing to a lot of the vitriol that we see in the community trying to just get us to tear each other apart. While in the meantime, you probably got, uh, the incumbents that are working on their own projects and, and hoping to basically, create their their own more centralized crypto that is uh, hopefully in their mind going to overtake Bitcoin and all of these other crypto assets. But what what's the conspiracy? Like what what's the theory? Oh, just the, the we we see so much evidence on social media of, you know, manipulation happening, you know, trying to, you know, push people's perspectives around. And you know, some people call that out as like shilling and sock puppetry or just straight up spam. There's a lot of it that happens on Reddit. I, I see a fair amount on Twitter and you don't know who's actually behind it. Um, it's very easy for one side of the like scaling debate to say, oh, it's these people on the other side of the scaling debate that are doing this. But really, for all we know, it's actually third parties who just want to get us to waste all of our time arguing with each other rather than continuing to build and improve the system that we have right now. Uh, James, and I have a question around this. So you, you just mentioned about the, you know, the conspiracy theories and whatnot. And it, I mean, with Bitcoin, you can really put on a conspiracy theorist hat and like look at different things from different angles. And so I, I have a question for you about this. In the original Bitcoin white paper, you know, there was several different references to different things that, that Satoshi Nakamoto had pulled from, right? And mm-hmm. there's eight of them. And one of them that's missing is Bitcoin golds um, or, or bit gold or whatever from Nick Zabo. And another, right. and another one that is missing uh, from what I found is the it's it was originally created by the NSA back in 1996. How to make a mint the cryptography of anonymous electronic cash. That one wasn't mentioned as well. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I look at that and I go, hmm. And then I go down rabbit holes and I look and I see, oh, well, look, <laughs> here's this person, Tatsuki Akamoto. Like, is that maybe that per- he worked on that person worked on this particular document? Maybe that per- like is 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 it possible that Bitcoin was created by the NSA? Definitely, definitely possible. Yeah. But the great thing is that it doesn't matter. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that that's kind of the beauty of open source uh, and the reason why the identity of Satoshi Nakamoto doesn't matter, because they don't have the ability to hide any like nefarious 
you know, backdoors or exploits or, or to change the rules or really to have any control over the system. Um, you know, the absolute worst case scenario that I can see from like having a hostile Satoshi Nakamoto actor would be that they could dump all of their coins on the market. But I can assure you that if that happens, there's going to be a lot of people buying those coins up and that it's only going to be like a temporary uh, bit of insanity on the markets. But, you know, the protocol itself and the network would continue operating just fine. Yeah, that, that was one of the reasons I came to that sort of thought process, because, you know, if you, you read the initial sort of Bitcoin conversations between, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto and then, you know, some of the original folks and then how, you know, Gavin Andreessen was sort of given uh, access to all of this and, and then the repositories. And then once he went to the CIA to talk about Bitcoin, then Satoshi mm -hmm. Nakamoto disappeared. And I was like, that was just always weird. Like, how how did uh, Gavin Andreessen sort of get ousted from being able to even work on Bitcoin. I know it had, had it revolved around the Craig Wright thing, but like, how did he never get access to these repositories back? Because it seemed like they were they were shunning him somehow. Right. So that's actually kind of a bit of, of propaganda that you hear. So Gavin and Jeff Garzik and like any of the or even Mike Hearn, like any of these folks who contributed to Bitcoin Core uh, in years past. No one is stopping them from contributing again. Like the, they aren't being blocked from the repository. Now, Gavin Andreessen uh, had merge access on the Bitcoin Core repository. That was what was handed over to him from uh, Satoshi. And there are, I think, four or five people who have merge access. But that in and of itself is not particularly special because everybody is watching the repository. Like I watch the repository. I don't have merge access. I've made a few minor contributions to core and I, I never needed any special permission. I just uh, wrote the code and opened a pull request. And I mean, this is how open source development works. Mm -hmm. And so you'll hear a lot of uh, whining about, you know, Gavin and Jeff being quote unquote uh, ousted and having their access removed. But the reality is if you, you can go look at their GitHub contributions and you'll see that they had not contributed anything to the Bitcoin Core repository for over a year, maybe several years at the time when their uh, merge access was finally removed. So from a, a technical standpoint, it was really more of just cleaning up uh, the, the merge access. Like if someone's not going to use it, there's no reason to have it there because it's, if anything, just like a security liability. Oh, that makes total sense. That's great. I'm glad you clarified that because that was that's always been one of those things. It was like, so what's going on over there with that? Like, how are they just able to arbitrarily boot somebody out who got the keys of the castle given to them by Satoshi? So that that always seemed a little strange to me. Yeah. So like even the folks who do have merge access, like uh, Vladimir and uh, maybe Peter and uh, a few other people, that the reason I say that that's not particularly powerful is because even if you have the ability to change the code in the repository and you manage to do it without anybody noticing, then that doesn't allow you to actually deploy the code out onto the network. Uh, there is no like automatic update of Bitcoin nodes, and this is by design. This is a, a counterpoint or counterbalance to developer power is that in order to update your node, the operator has to manually go, you know, get the new code, download it, install it, and run it. And, and that is meant as a, a point of, you know, hopefully 
requiring these node operators to be a bit more diligent about exactly what the rules are that they are agreeing to run. Well, and it seems now that because the code is open source that anybody can go in and create a fork, right? Here we are in a certain block. Yeah. It's going to fork. And now we've got Bitcoin, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, we, we have our own uh, crypto bad coin. So, you know, maybe we just need to fork Bitcoin, Travis, and call it Bitcoin bad, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than have our own token, just Bitcoin bad, just having Bitcoin in it will uh, be you know, worth like $70 billion. It's genius. Isn't that how it works? Yeah, that's how it works until it doesn't. Um, I really see a lot of parallels of what's happening now with all of the altcoin airdrops to back in like 2012, 2013, when altcoins really became a thing. What you saw actually even back then, um, Matt Corallo actually wrote an altcoin generator, which it was very similar to what we have now with the fork gen. But once it became really, really easy for anybody to create uh, an altcoin the value of them dropped significantly. So you ended up with a very long tail distribution of low value altcoins. And so now the same thing is happening with the uh, the Bitcoin forks where the first few where it was very hard for those people to do that, they had to have a lot of developer talent and, and generally had a lot more resources and marketing. They managed to capture a decent amount of value and convince people that you know maybe they actually have a viable project. And now you just have all of the folks coming in who have done nothing more than click a few buttons and put up some marketing propaganda. And uh, you know they're not going to be able to convince many people to to store their money in that system. Mm. But look what's happening with those alts now. I mean, many alts are just also taking off like crazy. Is this? an indicator of things to come or is this just a, a weird bit of hysteria that's going to die down and people are going to end up losing a lot of money uh i mean i think it's you know free market uh, greed is you know people want to invest in the next bitcoin uh and as a result you see a lot of novices to the crypto ecosystem that are coming in and they're saying oh i can't afford a whole bitcoin so Look at that Ripple thing. That's only, you know, 50 cents a dollar. I'll put all my money into that. Oh, now it's $2, $3. You know, this is this is a winner right here. And and so you do enter into hype cycles with all of these different assets. Um, I haven't seen any analysis recently, but I know over the years I've seen a few different analysis that was showing for like Bitcoin and Ethereum that, you know, the vast majority of the value, probably like 80%, of the value in these things is speculative. And then the minority, maybe 10, 20% of the value is utility of the people who are actually like using it on a regular basis. Yeah, we had an interview recently with uh, Lex uh, Sokolin. He's uh, the f a futurist over at Autonomous Research. And we were talking about the different blockchains that are out there. And he made, a, he made a great analogy about, you know, well, you want to make sure that all the highways are set up great before you get people in cars on them, right? So before you start building out these decentralized apps and you want to make sure that your highway is set up and secure and good to go. And that was a great analogy. And so it leads me to my next question to you is what are some of the other blockchains out there aside from Bitcoin? I know you're pretty much, you're focused mostly on Bitcoin, but I'm sure that you have, you know, you've, you've done some research on some of those other ones or some of the other blockchains that are coming up. And I, I wanted to see which ones do you think aside from Ethereum have the most potential in the, in the future? So in general, the ones that I think are 
the best for actually putting money into tend to be the larger ones, you know, in the top like 20 or so of the crypto market caps. For me specifically, being, you know, more cypherpunk uh, minded, I I invest in the the privacy centric coins like uh, Monero and Zcash. Uh, I think that, you know, that is, you know, actual utility that I'm interested in. When you're talking about more of the smart contract stuff and and Ethereum and and whatnot, you could definitely argue has greater potential, but I'm not convinced that they will be able to realize it uh, in a secure fashion, uh, simply because the the trade-off that you're making for having much greater uh, flexibility and ease of development is that you have a much larger attack surface and, you know, things that could potentially get exploited and go wrong. So I think it's been maybe almost a year at this point since Ethereum has had any particularly bad uh, protocol level issues. But we have seen even just in the past few months, uh, a number of issues of smart contracts being exploited, um, Mm -hmm. especially with like the multi-sig smart contracts. And on that note, I'm actually going to be publishing a blog post soon. Like it's already done. It's just waiting to get published about all of the challenges that I and my team have had to deal with uh, with Ethereum infrastructure over the past year and a half. So we actually did not one but two different uh, attempts at building Ethereum uh, multi-sig wallet infrastructure. We had to scrap the first one uh, for several technical reasons. Uh, we did that around the time that the network was getting exploited a lot in, at the end of 2016. And then we came back and and basically started all over from scratch and spent most of 2017 working on that. And we encountered a, a lot of very uh, unique challenges that we had not anticipated. It's those damn crypto kitties. <laughs> they, they pretty much destroyed, you know. The uh, the Ethereum blockchain, and yet you know Ethereum has has broken a thousand. Yeah, uh, it's a really amazing thing. So, what about all these other altcoins that are coming out there? We interview a lot of companies on here for our ICO spotlights that are all over the map as far as the utility behind you know what they're uh, attempting to uh, to create. Do you see that there will be literally thousands and thousands? of different tokens for individual uses or is this an experiment that uh, we're going to wake up and go you know what there's a few coins and all these others it's just not going to work i mean it's definitely in the experiment phase right now but while you know you can make the the argument that there are various laws of nature that tend to cause like a sound monetary system to you know consume all of the other ones you know, a lot of these things are not just straight up money. They're they're doing all these other utilitarian things. So mm-hmm. I think that, you know, yes, it will be a very diverse set of crypto networks. And uh, some of them will enable just new types of economic interaction that you just can't do on other networks. Um, I don't think that we'll have like one single network that does everything. Like that's another reason why I'm kind of skeptical of Ethereum is because the, the idea that, you know, one single network will be able to do all the types of computation that you want to do, you know, that poses even more scalability and security challenges in it than than Bitcoin is facing. And Bitcoin has some, you know, 
really, really tough challenges ahead. Yeah, it's so crazy when there's so many companies that are building on top of Ethereum and then the capacity of Ethereum better handle that, right? And and it's not handling it right now and the price is still going up. So that's that's a it's a fascinating uh, sort of a challenge that is there for them for sure. One, one company that we had on that I thought was really interesting and with you being a security guy, um, uh, you might like them. Did you, Have you done any research on QuantStamp at all? No, I can't say I have. Yeah, so what they want to be is they want to be the VeriSign of Ethereum and smart contracts across all blockchains. So we had it, we did an ICO spotlight with them. So they basically are going to go in and verify that each one of those smart contracts are completely legit and compliant and secure, uh, and then give them that seal of approval, sort of like you would see on the VeriSign websites back in the day, or still, still see that. Um, I have a question. So we had a, we had uh, some questions that popped in from some of our some of our users. One of the, one of the guys on Twitter, Shane Kennedy at Shane underscore Kennedy, uh, he wanted to know what courses or resources would you recommend for someone who wants to you know learn programming in order to eventually become a Bitcoin developer? Yeah. So if you have no programming experience whatsoever, then you're you're definitely going to need to start out with some very uh, general courses. I don't I don't have any off the top of my head that I am aware of, but you know there's a plethora of different MOOCs and stuff that that you can use to to start off with something easy like a uh, Python or or Node.js. It's also tricky because I see like two different types of of software developers and there's the type where, which is like myself, where you know I, I got a formal four-year computer science education, and I had to learn all of these really, really low-level theories about computer science uh, before I even really started trying to build any complex applications. And then there's the folks who just you skip past all of that and dive right into, okay, here's how you start writing your first scripts, and then we'll worry about all of the other stuff like. Uh, you know, figuring out how to determine orders of magnitude of uh, code uh, execution speed and, uh, you know, good uh, programming practices for building large, complex architectures of applications in order to make them easier to maintain. It's a lot easier these days for people to just jump in and start writing code. But if you do that, it's very hard to write high quality code that is going to last and and be uh, maintainable. So I'm not sure if there is a great resource that can really allow you to skip all of the, the low level computer science that I think is necessary if you're going to be doing crypto asset programming, because this type of development is more akin to like aerospace engineering than it is to web development. And I did web development uh, for like the first 10 years of my career. And that was um, at times, you know, it could be a bit scary when you have an application that is, you know, servicing millions and millions of users. You don't want it to go down for a single second. But if it does screw up and go down, then it's okay. Uh, you just go in, you fix it, you deploy new code, you deploy new hardware, and you bring it back online. And you'll have some upset users, but generally, you know, nobody gets uh, particularly hurt. But then with crypto assets, if you make a mistake, uh, you know, or with cryptography in general, if there is a single exploitable condition in there and, and some uh, attacker finds it, 
then now a lot of people have lost a lot of money and you can't just go out there and you know deploy some new code to fix it in a lot of these cases a lot of times that's it you're done uh there are no takebacks so i think that in order to really get to the level of doing crypto asset engineering you kind of have to go through uh, a much more rigorous uh, computer science background interesting stuff those of you uh, that might um, have like somehow ended up into the show before the beginning. We're talking to Jameson Lop. His official website is lop.net, L-O-P-P.net. Uh, that's where you'll find his articles, his presentations, uh, other interviews. He's got an amazing resources. resource page over there that somehow yeah. doesn't include bad crypto. I don't know. How do we fix that? <laughs> How do we fix that? <laughs> oh, well, you see, it's open source, and there's a link at the oh, top. Oh, very uh, nice. All you need to do is you go on to the GitHub, and you uh, submit your first pull request. Oh, very nice. And if you can't figure out how to do that, well, then that's your first homework task. Then you're screwed and, and you get nothing. <laughs> All the links to his social profiles as well. Uh, Jameson, as we get ready to wrap up, why don't you give us your boldest prediction for 2018 in the crypto space? Uh, boldest prediction. Well, People. I believe uh, that we are going to start seeing like sovereign wealth funds and, you know, not just like institutions, but like really huge managed pools of assets start to say we need exposure to crypto assets um and and the, this is going to change the the tide where bitcoin and and crypto is no longer just seen as a toy plaything but actually starts to be seen as a hedge you know uh, on the same level as like gold itself you know, that's something that, that that we were talking about recently. I think Joel and I were having some conversations. And I, uh, with my co-author of my book, Digital Sense, we had a, a powwow with a, a couple of countries that are interested in creating their own sovereign blockchain to do that exact thing. They want to tokenize their oil reserves. And then uh, just like what last month, I guess, uh, uh, Venezuela is now doing that with their new Petro coin. So we're starting to see the beginnings of that taking place right now. Yeah, it's uh, the whole space is growing so quickly, and you know, you 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 can ask me a lot of things about like what what do I think of this coin or that coin, and really, my honest opinion and and answer in most cases is I have no idea because I can't keep up with it all anymore. It, it does move quickly. Uh, what are your favorite resources to uh, to keep up with stuff? Uh, let's see for, well, for me, I'm mostly on Twitter, which should be pretty apparent. Um, I, I like Twitter more than any other social media platform because I think it allows you to customize exactly what you're seeing, you know, stuff like, uh, Reddit and, uh, and Facebook and, and whatever is, is a lot more noisy. And so these days, like my time is very precious and I, I want to curate the content as much as possible, but, um, really following the small number of other curators on Twitter, I find allows me to get a pretty diverse set of content. That's also high quality. I love your pinned tweet. Uh, it's, you know, from November of 2017 and it says, welcome to Bitcoin newcomers. Here's your FAQ question. Who should I trust? Answer. Nobody question. When should I sell? Answer. Never question is bitcoin dying because and then you've got a blank so people could fill in whatever they want and your answer is no 
what have I gotten myself into? Nobody knows. And how do I learn more? And it's got a link to your site. <laughs> I love it. Straightforward talk. And of course, in your profile picture, you're wearing a make Bitcoin great again hat. I love that too. It's exciting times. And uh, I imagine that it's only going to continue to get crazier. So great. Well, thank you so much for coming on to Bad Crypto, man. That's been a great pleasure. I know our audience is going to love this, and you'll get some uh, some new people probably uh, becoming aware of all the great things that you're doing. So uh, thank you for being a friend of the show, and uh, we look forward over time to uh, watching you continue to be awesome in the space. So thanks for all you do. Thanks for having me. Good stuff. From Mr. Jameson Lop. Jameson, you are now considered a friend of the show and are welcome to come drop it like it's hot anytime you want. Drop it like it's lop. <laughs> Just lop it in there. Um, <laughs> I tell you what, now this guy was legit. I really like talking to Jameson, really sharp dude. And I mean, his he has an amazing beard. And anytime somebody is that smart and has an amazing beard and has been in Bitcoin and has been in this ecosystem as long as he have has, like, he's one of the top guys that we've talked to so far. We've talked to some amazing people. I really like that dude. I hope to have him on the show again. And where do you see the guests that we have coming up? And in FYI, more interviews are happening lately, and there's two reasons for that. One, we're meeting more fascinating people. And, you know, Travis and I, we're still learning, and we learn more from having them on here, just like you're learning along with us. Reason number two is we've got a lot of travels going on. In fact, as you're listening to this show right now, Travis is actually on a cruise. We, we had to pre-record this week's um, episodes because Travis is on the blockchain cruise. He's hanging out right now with Ronnie Moas and, and, and McAfee. And and a bunch of others. And are you uh, Travis? Well, that's only uh, true if they listen to it within like that two or three day window. Because yeah, technically, Tra like right now, Travis is sitting here. In yeah, house. well, as of yeah, when this <laughs> when this when this episode airs, when it first goes out, you're on the cruise. So I'm talking. Hey, Travis, are you having a good time on the cruise? Oh my gosh, you guys! That one time with that thing by the deal was so awesome. Yeah, and that and that and we did some things and. Oh my gosh, there was water everywhere. <laughs> so well, hopefully amazing. not everywhere. We don't want a repeat of a, you know, Titanic or anything, but uh, we... you know, luckily I checked the weather. There are no typhoons coming. That was my concern. I was like, it's all cool as long as like no like super typhoons. But it... the ship will be full of crypto tycoons. Ooh, with no yeah. Wi-Fi. With like no imagine wi this, like all the world's most famous crypto people on one boat. With no Wi-Fi, nobody can check their crypto holdings. You're going to have to just talk to each other and speculate on what's oh, happening with right. EOS and NEO. Oh, yeah. So anyway, you know, we're, we're fluid here and the format of the show evolves depending upon, um, you know, availability and what's going on. And that means, you know, when we're recording something in advance, it means that there's not going to be current news because we don't want to say, hey, look at that. Bitcoin is at 14,000. And when the episode actually airs, it's at, you know, 12 or 22. And you're oh, like, yeah. well, that's, that's not we right. did that. We did that with the Ripple one. Like we recorded ahead of time and it was like Ripple at, a, you know, 100 billion or whatever. It was like it was like a totally low amount. It was number, number four, four in the market cap. Yeah, number four That's where it was. And by the time the episode aired, it was number two yeah. in market cap. So, <laughs> you know, we, we want to be bad. bad. We are we bad. We don't want to be horrible. That's true. We want to be classy with our badness. Yeah. 
So we appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening. And our our ever-growing audience, you're the best. Please tell a friend about Bad Crypto Podcast because they will love you. And they might even want some of your bad coin, which we're not giving away as of the 18th anymore. So uh, those of you who got it, you're the baddest of all. So stay bad. The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.